Let us be a people who seek God because of love, just not because of knowledge. And, and in this series that we're on, this journey, this fundamentals of our faith, I must say to you, my aim is not just to give you knowledge to puff you up. Because it's a bit technical, some of what we're talking about. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to invite you in, invite us all in, myself included, I'm trying to invite us in to a more expanded view of God that we might experience Him in new ways, every single one of us, in ways that we've never experienced before. See, what I'm hoping for is, well, for instance, at the beginning of the series when I spoke about the grace of God, what I was really hoping was that you would dive into the grace of God and experience it in new and fresh ways in your life, that your knowledge of God, your relationship with God would be expanded and therefore your experience of His grace would be expanded and that you would end up with a personal testimony or testimonies of his redeeming power at work in your life. When I asked Phil Brown to speak on the, the authenticity and the authority of the Bible, what I was really desperately hoping and praying for was that you'd fall in love with the Word of God. That you'd have a dynamic relationship with it, not just a, a book or a devotion on your phone, but actually a life-giving source that you have a personal relationship and encounter with daily. It's my hope. And, and, and what news to us is knowledge about the cross of Christ if we choose not to experience it? To those of you that are viewing online that aren't with us in the room, my prayer for you is the same as it is for all of us. For you at home, I would really pray that these teachings that you access online are helping you to find God in an intimate way. So for many of you online, maybe you don't know him personally. Today, I'm going to expand that a little bit. But my, my hope is that you encounter the presence of God in your lounge room or in your car, in your earbuds as you're listening, that you would find, find God and that you'd experience relationship with him. I challenge you at home and I challenge all of us here to be bold and to ask God this question. To say, God, would you reveal yourself to me today? Would you reveal yourself to me today? Because what I've found is if you ask, he's willing. Today I tackle something much, much bigger than we have time to conquer. As I've been wrestling with this subject called the Trinity, I kind of felt like it was a mountain that I'd hoped to ascend, but knowing that I'd never reach the top. But what I've discovered is the higher you climb up that mountain, the better the view is. To attempt to Understand the Trinity is just a mind-bender, and you're going to see what I mean by that today, but for those of you that are perhaps not sure what this means, or um, there's a spelling mistake in that. You know what I mean, eh? Man, it was the last time I had a spelling mistake in my slides. 2001? Not so. Uh, the Trinity, what do I mean by that? Well, it's, it's our way of saying that we think that God is one, but there are three persons distinct in God. It's, it's, it's a mind-bender. It's hard to understand. 
it's actually, like I said before, it's a brain bender, and today we're going to attempt to look at it. But the truth is, as I was studying it, I came across this quote in two parts. If you try and explain the Trinity, you will lose your mind. And three weeks ago when I found that quote, I thought, oh, well, this is going to be tough. And I have to admit, it has been. I've wrestled with it, and I don't feel I've got my hands fully on it. But what's the point? The second half of the quote says this. If you deny the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. It says to me that it's quite an important subject. It says to me that the awareness of the Trinity and and understanding the invitation that you're going to see today is vital for every single one of us as we journey with God. Again, the God that you know is the God you experience. I mean, I don't even think it's possible to properly explain God. And this quote here, says the Christian teaching of the Trinity is not an explanation of God, but it's just us sharing the little bits that we do know. Because God is infinite and far beyond our comprehension. And it defies logic as we know it. So I I say all of this to set you up with a hope that I'm going to help share some stuff today, but knowing that I can't begin to even hit this topic properly. My friend Tozer, he says this in that same book, The Knowledge of the Holy, acquaint thyself with God. And then he says this, listen closely to what Tozer says. Let faith support us where reason fails. And we shall think because we believe, not in order that we may believe. I'll say it again slowly. Let faith support us where reason fails. And we shall think because we believe. But we're not thinking so that we believe. There's only one way we're going to get this, and that's if God gives it to us. Let's pray. Um, God, I humbly come before you as your servant. And Lord, I, I bring what I have prepared, hoping that you will take it and fix the typos and, and the misconceptions and that you would bring truth to our hearts. God, I pray for each one of us today that you would enlighten our hearts, not through knowledge, but through revelation. That it's faith that stirs us and desire to know you deeper that stirs us in order that we would receive something of a gift from you today by your spirit and that our spirits would lead our minds in comprehending our relationship with you, that our life would become more like that life that you've prepared for us, each one of us. God, I pray that we would experience more of you through a deeper relationship with you. Amen. This message is heading towards an invitation. Everybody's invited. I wonder what to. Firstly, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by trying to explain the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, which is, again, spelt wrong, um, copy and paste. But uh, the thing is, we've got to look at what the Bible says about it, but we've got to begin to understand what does it mean to us. So here is a doctrinal statement. What that means is it's a statement of belief. It's It's a yardstick by which we would measure our hearts. And it says this, there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
God is one in essence and three in person. Again, hard to comprehend. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct from each other. Each person is fully God, and there is only one God. This is weird. This is hard to get, and and your brain might be hurting already. But I want to make it very, very clear. When we talk about the Trinity, we're not talking about three gods. God is not split into three, one-third, one-third, one-third. God is one. There is one God, and we worship one God. He's the creator. We believe he's the creator of all things, heaven and earth, that he's outside of time, he's eternal, and yet we try and wrap our minds around it. The fact that he's outside time, the moment he's sitting with you in the car park, helping you find that elusive park right outside the door, is the same moment to him as he was sitting with Abraham, counting the stars. Get your head around that. That he's able to listen to your prayers while your neighbor's whining about their husband beating them up. Same time, with no diminishing of his love. I, I can't understand this. I can't, I can't get my head around it. So I'm hoping I can get my heart around it. As I was researching this, I, I found this um, statement of belief, and I want to just read it out to you. And when I read these things out... I've been praying that the words would land like seeds on your heart and that God would do something with them. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm I'm barely scratching the surface at trying to instruct you. But I'm trusting that God who works in us will take these seeds, these words, and he will bear fruit in your lives. Listen to this statement. We believe in one living and true God who is the creator of heaven and earth, who is eternal, almighty, unchangeable, infinitely powerful, wise, just, and holy. We believe that the one God eternally exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that these three are one God, co-equal, co-eternal, having precisely the same nature and attributes, and worthy of precisely the same worship, confidence, and obedience. One God. Three distinct persons. And in this we find an invitation into something. And I wonder what that invitation is. Man for years, for centuries, has tried to wrestle with this and explain this. And church fathers came up with something they called um, this symbol here, which is the triketra. That's the triketra. And early church fathers scratched it out beginning to try and depict something that would explain the Trinity. And and this is my favorite one. There's many, many symbols. Triketra means three corners in Latin, hence the three points, each of those three points representing part of God and the whole picture representing God, the three persons. Let Let me read this explanation to you. It's better if I use their words. The shape in the triketra Three equal arches of the circle express the equality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Secondly, the union of the arches represents the unity of the Godhead, meaning God as one. There's unity. Thirdly, their continuous form symbolizes eternity. And lastly, the fact they're interwoven denotes the fact that the Trinity cannot be divided. The triketra. This one, 
is called the shield of faith, or as you can see on the screen, scutum fidei. It's a shield of faith, and it's, it's not a concept that you read in the Bible. I'm not saying this is scripture. I'm saying this is an attempt by church fathers of many years ago to try and represent something, and I've put it up there on purpose in Latin. If you look at the screen, top left corner, you'll see the word pater, which is Latin for father. If you look on the top right corner, you'll see the word filius, which is the son. And in the bottom, you've got spiritus sanctus, which is Holy Spirit. And right in the middle, the circle, deuce is God. So if you, if you play the game and you read across each line, pater a deuce means father is God. And then if you say filius a deuce, it means the son is God. But then you can flip it around and you can say Deus a filius. God is Jesus the Son. Deus a spiritus sanctus means God is the Holy Spirit. If you go across the lines or on the outside, you can say spiritus sanctus non a filius, which means the Holy Spirit is not the Son. It's just a way that they built this shield of faith to try and explain the interwoven dynamic relationship that is actually just what we call God. When you pray, dear God, help me, this is who you're praying to. Again, it's a mind bender. There is one God who eternally exists in three persons. Again, this is a bit of a mind bender and and we're scratching the surface, and, and I hope that you're praying as much as I'm praying that God would speak to people because our hope is that in understanding our faith and understanding the God we worship, we can have a dynamic relationship with Him. Well, the question is, does this really matter? Because when I prepare messages of all kinds, whether it's teaching here or at a conference elsewhere, I'm always asking this question, well, why does this matter to the listener? Because you could be sitting there saying, well, I've been in church all my life and I feel like I'm a good Christian and I don't really comprehend what you're talking about. Does it really matter? Will it help me tomorrow? It's a good question to ask. It's one that I ask every week when I prepare messages. Let me ask it this way. If the truth of the Trinity was absent from the doctrine of our faith, and we're going to look at this in a minute, if the Trinity was absent, would your life be any different? Because you might say, well, I don't live with the Trinity. Well, let me show you how you can. Because I want to draw you into a place where you actually become thirsty for something you don't have or you may not have. I want you to see that God is dynamic and that, well, actually, here's just the main point. Your view of God influences and impacts everything else in your life. Your view of God literally changes your life in so many different ways. So it should matter to you that God is a triune God. Your life can be better when you have a relationship with the triune God. And so let's look at what the Bible says. 
This is what I refer to as the Bible study page. And uh, some people like to take photos of these slides. What I would say is that um, when I do stuff like this, these slides will all be attached to the podcast, which is in our church app. So download the app on your phone or your device. And tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon, the message will get put up there in audio. And these slides will be attached for you to look at. So all the references are there. But what I wanted to do was I just chose five. And we're only going to look at two of them. Because the Bible was literally full of examples where we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And just in case you thought that they had a costume change and it was the same God, they just turned up looking different. This scene, the first one, Matthew chapter 3, we see them all present in the same story in the same moment. And it's the baptism of Jesus Christ. So I'm reading from Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to John, that's John the Baptist, at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? See, John had a revelation of who Jesus was already. Jesus said and answered to him, Permit it to be so, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, all the scriptures. So he allowed him. This is the key point. When he, Jesus, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. So Jesus the Son stands up out of the water, is raised up out of the water, and he sees heaven open, and the, he sees the Holy Spirit come and descend on him. And suddenly, verse 17, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my Son, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus comes up out of the water. There's the Son. He sees heaven open, and the Holy Spirit comes down upon him, descending like a dove, and he hears the voice of the Father say, This is my beloved Son. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit interacting together. I encourage you to read these scriptures later and you'll see how, how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were present in your personal salvation when you came to faith. If you read 2 Corinthians 13, it's often used as a benediction at the end of a gathering, but it talks about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being involved in our sanctification, which means us being renewed and cleansed and made more and more like Jesus Christ as we walk with him daily. God is present in every one of those. And in Matthew 28, verse 19, which is part of the great, what's called the Great Commission, Jesus says, I want you to go out and baptize others. See, someone baptized you once. And when you were baptized, you were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and into the baptism of Jesus Christ. Present at your baptism. So I just want to, but I want to look at this last one. I just want to dig down a bit further because there's a couple of layers to this. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, I must say I love the book of Ephesians. It's one of my faves. Ephesians chapter 3, let me read to you. As on the screen, you'll see Ephesians 3 verses 14 to 19. Paul is writing to us, his church. And he says, for this reason, which obviously means you've got to go and look at all the other verses beforehand, he's just like, he's just encouraging us about how amazing life is. And then he says, for this reason, I bow my knees, which means I lower myself down, to the Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in your inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In this passage, we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit represented, but not just in knowledge, but in how they work in our lives. You see, the goal of knowing God is to experience God. The fruit of our lives, the experience we have with God, bears fruit for others to witness. You're a signpost. You're supposed to be a signpost pointing the way to God. Your life should demonstrate God's nature. And in this way, if we have a relationship with God, then we can demonstrate as a signpost to others who don't yet know him. So let's break it down. Let's look at these verses. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's go beneath the lines. Let's look at some other translations. And let's see if we can understand by faith. Let's see if we can receive it here. Because there's an invitation coming. Verse 14 and 15. Paul's bowing his knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father. He's bowing his knees to the Father. Verse 15. From who the whole family in heaven and earth is named. What this means, if you look at the parallel scriptures, if you look at the Greek meanings of words, this is basically meaning Father is the one who gives you your name. He's the one who gives you your identity. He calls you out as his child. But it also means, it's woven us in there, it also means to bear the name of. So just as in the same way when it used to be that when you were born, you took the family name. That was normal, wasn't it? It used to be that when you got married to someone, they took the name of the husband. They take a family name. The point of that is that the father is the one who calls you out and who gives you your name, who calls you son or daughter. It means he's always there. It says... Um, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know Jesus and God and the Father, they've been eternal. He's always been the Father. So when, when it says in Genesis 1 that God created the heavens and the earth, he's talk, that is talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. It says in the New Testament that all, all of creation was birthed through Jesus, who was present in creation. In Genesis 1, it says the Spirit hovered over the earth and it was complete darkness and it was without form. They're all present from before time to now. The key point that you'll get out of this is why does it matter that God has given from who the whole family in heaven is named? It's God's gift to you is your identity. And your identity is not what you think about yourself. It's what God says about you. One of the biggest challenges we have in discipling people is we've got to break down the strongholds of their mind where they've got this paradigm of what they think they're supposed to look like. Or they believe what others say about them and that's, that becomes their identity. And I always say to them, what does God say? 
let's bring the Father into this conversation because he's the one from whom all of heaven and earth, including all of creation, which means you, from whom which we get our identity from. What does God say about you? I just wrote four things down to encourage you if you didn't, if you didn't know this. God says you are a child of, of God. This is when God's saying your identity. This is what he's saying. You are my child. You are loved by me as your father. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in my image, my nature, my character, my dynamic, eternal being. You are made in that identity. And finally, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's the father of all. Let's look at the next verse. Let's look at verse 16. Paul says that he, the Father, the Father would grant you, meaning to bless you, to give unto you, to credit to you, according to the riches of his glory. Good news is, Dad's got deep pockets. Eternal, endless love, eternal, endless goodness, eternal, endless mercy. Thank the Lord for that. Eternal, endless grace. According to the riches of his glory, not your bank account, not your personal character. According to that, listen to this, this is the key point. To be strengthened, dunamis power, that's the Holy Spirit power, that word, that's exactly what that word is, that you'll be given the dunamis power of, the, of those words with might through his spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, in your inner being. So the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you to strengthen you with the power of heaven. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, lives in me. But here we have the Holy Spirit giving, given as a gift to us in order that our inner man would be strengthened with the power of God for what purpose? Like warm fuzzies? Good feelings? Maybe, hopefully, to control anger or other temptations? Far more than that. The goal of the Holy Spirit strengthening your inner man is that you'd become mature, that you'd grow up, that you'd become more like Christ, who was your brother. This is not the Holy Spirit that just rescues you from all the mistakes you keep making. It's far more than that. That you'd be strengthened in your inner man, which means you'd become mature in your faith. Only Holy Spirit can do that. He's at work in your lives all the time. Our job is to notice it and to partner with him. The Holy Spirit at work. Now let's look at verse 17. So that Christ... That's Jesus, the Son, God the Son, may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, being able to comprehend. What is it saying? It's saying Jesus Christ is our gift. We know, we know that um, from other scriptures that Jesus is the firstborn amongst many brothers. What that means is that he becomes our kindred, he becomes our companion, he's the brother who brings us into the presence of God. And Christ dwells in your hearts through faith. Jesus Christ is the author and the perfecter of your salvation. He's at work bringing you before God, not just as you are, but as God intended you to be. Righteous, clean, made whole. Because of his finished work and not your effort. Jesus is saying, here I am at work and I'm part of this, 
Trinity, triune God, the Godhead, I'm in it, and I'm bringing my very best for you to experience your very best. And finally, verse 19, to know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge. Isn't it? That's like a juxtaposition. This is how mind-bending this is, that you would know something that passes knowledge. It just proves my point that this is not an intellectual process, that you'd know by experience, that you'd know by revelation, that you'd know by partnership with God, the knowledge of Christ. So don't try and wrap your head around it, try and wrap your heart around it, that you would know. That wasn't the point I was trying to make. According, uh, that you may be filled, sorry, with all the fullness of God. What is God's aim in this? That you would reach the measure, the full measure of what God has made available for every single one of us. Yes, we're all on a journey. Yes, we grow through experience. Yes, we fall over, we trip, we make mistakes, and we get back up again. Yes, life is hard. But God's goal for you is not to stay where you are and say, oh, well, this is my lot. He said, no, 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 no. The power of Christ in you is that you would experience and know by knowledge and revelation and, and understanding the, all the fullness that God has. Because everything that Jesus Christ did when he was on earth, he did as a man. A human. And if you really want to blow your mind and discuss this over lunch for something just to keep the, uh, the eggs warm, is that Jesus is still a man. He's still a human being. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. As is with Christ, so is with you. Because your baptism is into Christ. Subject for another day. Look, I, I submit these to you very humbly. I'm, I'm not even scratching the surface, but as, as I've wrestled with this, and guys, I've struggled. I've gone back to it and forwards. I've gone round in circles. I get up early this morning. I was, you know, last week, the week before, I was like, and Phil's laughing because he's like, I didn't choose the Trinity, you did. Because it was on the list. He goes, you do that one. And I was like, oh. And I was excited to, but like, it's like, I don't know what I was excited about, and I don't even feel like I've got into it. But if I just submit these scriptures to you and you take them home and you just say, God, would you reveal yourself to me? That's the best outcome. It truly is the best outcome. So here's a summary that I find helpful for me to do life with God. When I look at this passage, when I read these scriptures, I see God as a father who is the one who gives me my identity. He speaks over me. He affirms me. He releases his character by his words, building something in my life. That's what a father does. But he's also there as my provider and my protector. Think about a natural dad and the way a natural dad raises young, especially young children. They're affirming them, giving them their name, strengthening them. They're providing for the family. And they're protecting and keeping everyone safe. So what does this mean for you? If you're praying and you're feeling unsafe, instead of saying, God, help me, why don't you say, Father God, why don't you help me? You say that. Because it's okay to pray to the triune God by name. That's totally allowed. Jesus did it. Father, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, take this cup from me. And as I was studying this week, 
I got to the cross and he cries out, God, God, why have you forsaken me? That messed with me. Because he wasn't saying Father and he wasn't saying Holy Spirit. Keep it simple. Look to Father. So you could, you could do this. You could say, if you wanted to, to really test this, and I encourage you to do that, just don't take my word for it. Try it out in your prayer life. Say, Father God, would you tell me how you see me? Would you share your view of my identity? And see what he says. I can promise you what he's not going to say. He's not going to say, well, you're a sinner, you're a scallywag. Because that's not how he sees you. Jesus is our friend. He's the firstborn of many brothers. He's our companion and he's our partner. Jesus is the one who is the human dynamic of the triune God. It's hard to get our head around, but how would you live with Jesus? Well, I shared this with you, I think, a couple of weeks ago. I shared it at the conference I spoke at last week. I said to them, guys, sometimes I just pray, Jesus, would you show me where you are in this situation right now? Because I want to know that you're with me. I mean, I know, I know that you're with me, but can I have a reminder that you're with me? And I have seen people liberated out of bondage when we've asked Jesus this question, particularly in trauma. And I'm, 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 I'm meaning like severe personal trauma, and we've just simply prayed, Jesus, would you show this person where you were when that trauma happened to them? And they get this, just this warm feeling and, and this idea that Jesus, even though they were getting beat up or worse, Jesus was there holding their hand. He didn't abandon them. He didn't forsake them. He didn't make it happen. He didn't stop it happening. But he was still with them when it happened. Jesus wants you to know that he's, his, he's your companion. And then the Holy Spirit, like, I, I thought about how to say this, and I don't mean to be blasphemous, blaspheming here, but I was like, I want you to think about the Holy Spirit like your mum. If you didn't have a good mum, then think about someone else's mum, like a perfect mum. Holy Spirit is there to nurture us, to counsel us, to instruct us. You know, um, uh, don't want to start a sermon on the Holy Spirit, but the paraclete, the one that's sent as an advocate to, 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 to help us to grow up. The Holy Spirit was sent as a gift by the Father. Jesus said, I must go, because if I don't go, the Father can't send the one who is the paracletos. So the gift comes to relate to us, to guide us, to help us to grow up. And the Holy Spirit is great, because they're there to help you when you go off track. You're like mum used to. Stop picking your nose. Make sure you eat your veggies. Did you wash your hands? Like the mum that does that well is not the nag. The mum that does that well is trying to instruct a child to be raised up to be able to relate well with others. Because if you're a 42-year-old business executive picking your nose at a board table, it doesn't look good. The Holy Spirit knows that. So when you're seven tries to instruct you in the ways to live. So think about that when you're praying. Oh, I'm not really sure how to tie my shoes. Oh, mum will teach me. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this person. Holy Spirit, would you help me? Would you instruct me? Would you teach me? Would you help me to grow up and be a mature Christian? And would you just guide me in these ways? Holy Spirit, please help me. I need you. How you relate to God. How you pray. 
Holy Spirit is the one who brings us into the goodness of God. So we've looked at pictures that might try and describe the Trinity. We've looked at scriptures that show us the Trinity. But all of this leads us to an invitation. And this, my friends, leads me to perichoresis. Right there. Perichoresis is a word that's been around for centuries. And it was invented to try and explain how God does life together. And, and the definition of this word is, is defined as the great dance. Because when, when the early church fathers were trying to instruct people to relate to God, as I'm doing a, a half-baked job now, they're trying to bring them into a place where they can relate to the fullness of God. They describe God as, as uh, one God, but three persons in distinct in essence, and yet they have this, this dance of unity. And it's called the great dance. And it's beautiful to watch. It's beautiful to behold. And, and, and the way they describe it is, I'm, I'm going to read it out because it's on the screen, but for those that are watching or those that are listening, I mean, I listened to last week's podcast in the car and let's pray and I shut my eyes and I'm like, oh, that's right, I'm driving, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> so I'm going to read it out so that if you're listening to the audio, you can hear what's on the screen. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existing in a shared life of communion, intimacy, and camaraderie, self-giving. Other-centered, unconditional love, joy, peace, aliveness, passion, creativity, adventure, and mutual delight characterize this triune life. There is no emptiness, depression, fear, or anxiety in this family. Only a love so deep and pure that it gives rise to togetherness, to a oneness that is inseparable. Those words to describe this relationship that God has as, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do life together. They're dancing in unity and perfection, always focused on the best for the other person, other-centered sacrificial love. This is what you see when you see God at work in your life. Jesus made a way for you, but only so that you could go to the Father. And he gave his life willingly so you could go to the Father, and we're going to remember that in a minute. This is the great dance. This is the beautiful picture of God working. And I'm going to post this picture up on the Facebook later because I want you to take time to read it and think about the words. What does it mean for you to say that God has a self-giving love for you? Well, obviously, Jesus gave himself. What does it mean to be other-centered? God is worried about, he's not worried, God is more committed to you than you realize. He's totally focused on you. He's centering his whole attention on that. Unconditional love, what does it mean about this aliveness and passion that's in, in this partnership and the great dances? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit live together. This is the picture of a perfect family. And when God has promised for us that we will be, Zion will be a family that births revival, I have to trust that this is the picture God has in his heart because I can find no better picture. And I have to judge the journey not on what is reality, but what God has said will happen. Because we're only receiving these things by faith. And then we've got to ask, what's the invitation? The invitation, quite simply for you in the great dance, has to say this, are you going to be a spectator 
or are you going to be a dancer? See, the whole point of humanity was that God wasn't lonely, and God doesn't need us because God needs for nothing. God desired you. And God didn't create you so he could fiddle with your life. God created you and invited you into this life with him that you would dance in the great dance with him. That's the whole point. It's the whole reason that we, we understand who God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is, is that he's drawing us into a place of fellowship with him, communion with him, and that we would experience his other-centered love, his unconditional love, his unlimited joy, and his grace, and his compassion. His passion for you is limitless. You get to choose, though, because the God you know is the God you experience. If you don't think God's a dancer, then you're not going to dance with him. If you don't think you're worthy of coming into the dance, then you're going to stand back and be a spectator and wonder why everyone else is filled with the Holy Spirit and seeing signs and wonders in their life, and you're not. not, I don't say that as a judgment. The invitation is there for all, without limit and without restriction. So to close, we're gonna we're gonna take communion together. And and we could only come into this great dance because Jesus Christ chose to pay the price that we could be one with God. That we could only come into the great dance because of Jesus, and that's why we remember communion. Why we take the cracker and the juice and we say, Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken for me. And thank you for your blood that was shed for me. And as I take these emblems as representations, I'm pausing to reflect. I'm pausing to give thanks. And I'm pausing to remember the price you paid for me. But today, as you do that, as you come and receive the emblems and go back to your seat, I want you to cast your eye to the screen. Because the great dance is God the Father, God the Son living with you. It's the whole point. The whole point of Jesus going to the cross is that you would be able to dance with God for eternity. And every single one of those words will have meaning for you in some way. So today, as you receive communion, just take a moment and sit. Pray if you want, look at the screen, find a word. Say, God, would you reveal yourself to me to fresh today? Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you that we can trust you to bring revelation where words are insufficient. Today, as we come before the throne of Jesus Christ, our victorious King, but we remember His cross. I ask that you would reveal yourself to us afresh today. As we receive the cracker, as we receive the juice, we remember Jesus Christ, His sacrifice, His suffering, His death, in order that we might have life. We give thanks and praise to the eternal Father in heaven. And we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us. Reveal yourself to us. We bless you, God. We bless you. bless you. Amen. Will you come when you're ready? Each one welcome. Each one invited to the dance.
come and receive the emblems. Sit in your seats, talk with someone if you wish, pray with someone if you wish, but contemplate the great dance.